Good morning, everyone. Uh, so my name's Andy. I'm married to Beth, and we have the immense privilege of leading Riverside Vineyard just to the west side of London. And uh, our support crowd is in the front row, which is amazing. Um, so it's a multi-site, multi-generational, multi-cultural church that we are um, have the privilege of leading. I'm here with some wonderful leaders from around the Vineyard uh, movement. So could you welcome Olu, Josh, and Alloreen? So we'll get on to talking about your leadership journeys in a moment, but it would be wonderful if you could just introduce yourself and say something about your know, family and background. So, Josh, why don't you kick us off? Sure. So my name's Josh. Um, I am, so family and background. So I was born to um, two parents. My dad's Nigerian. My mum's white. I don't know much more about them because I was adopted. I was fostered at birth. And um, so I was labeled as a hard-to-place black baby and um, an amazing family who'd been praying for a young baby to be added to their family, answered an advert for babies who were described in that way. And um, they brought me into their family. Um, they're both white, and um, they went to Kenya. They taught um, in a Bible college in Kenya, and that's where I grew up. And so that's, um, that's the early part of my life. It was strange, though, because I grew up in, a, in an African country, um, in Kenya, and um, I experienced white privilege. Both my parents were white. I went to a private school. I had opportunities that people like me didn't have. In fact, I was looked at as a white boy, an umzungu. And um, so then we moved to the UK. I carried on um, with education. I went to university and um, studied physiotherapy and had a whole number of opportunities linked to that um, in terms of with research and physiotherapy um, and so on. But I'd moved to a country where overnight, the country I lived in looked at me as a different color. I was looked at as a white. When I was in Kenya, I was looked at as a black when I came to the UK. And in the UK, I experienced um, some of the oppression um, that many of um, those who um, I looked at and seen as black um, experienced. So that's a, a little bit about me. Josh, thank you. What about you, Ollie? Uh, hi, guys. Um, apologies if I seem nervous. I'm very used to singing in front of people, not speaking. So. It's not really my thing, but, um, but yeah, I'm here. Uh, so my name is Olu. I was, uh, well, I was actually born in Liverpool, so I used to be a bit of a scouser and sound a bit like that. <laughs> yep. And, um, but yeah. And then we moved to Oxford, so that's the connection with Josh. And um, I grew up there. I then went to University of Manchester, met the Lord in my early 20s. And uh, now I live with my wife in London. So I oversee worship at a church in East London called uh, Highway Vineyard. Um, I think they were at the earlier conference, so that, that's the reason why there's no woo! Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> and um, yeah, so I lead at Highway, I oversee worship. I took over the worship team during probably one of the most chaotic times in modern history, which was in the middle of coronavirus, and um, things have... Things have been very interesting, challenging, but good. Um, and then through relationship with uh, Harmony and uh, Jimmy Cook, who head up worship, I got involved more in the vineyard worship side of things and uh, had the great opportunity to do the vocals on a song called Prayer of Consecration, which came out last year. And uh, some of you might have seen me at the pre-recorded national gathering we did last year as well. So, Arlo, thank you. Alloreen, how about you? Hi. Hi. Um... 
My parents were born in Barbados, and they, are, they came over as part of the late Windrush generation. So they, um, there was a call from the UK to call people from the colonies to basically come and, um, come and do the work that nobody else wanted to do. My father um, uh, was a cooper and a carpenter and joiner, but he came and worked for London Transport at Fullwell Bus Garage and was a bus conductor. They weren't going to stay for. They weren't going to stay for long, but you know, here we are. So I was born. I, I was. I was. I was born here. We were in a part of Southwest London which was very, very white. So there were probably a handful of black um, black people. I went to a school where there were two or three. I went to a uni where, in my course, I think I was the only person. So I've always been. One of one or two or three, so not you know not living in that uh, in that world, and really have experienced sometimes being a little bit unique, you know, a bit oh you know not seen as a threat, but a little bit like a bit curious, but also but carry all that weight of being not white. So if we can then think about your journeys towards leadership and the things you're involved with now, and how the Lord has called you to where you are serving right now. So, Anna, what's that journey been like for you? Well, it's, it's really interesting because I didn't really see myself as a leader, but once when we were having our pre-chat, I realised I've actually led quite a few things, both um, at work professionally, but also within, within the church. You know, I was a prefect and a deputy head girl, and at work I'd led, you know, led teams and still do lead, lead teams. I guess when I came to Riverside, I kind of just... You know, Rick and Lulu just asked me to do stuff, and I said yes, I'll yes, I'll do it. And then they asked me to do a few more things, and I did a few more things. So, and then I, so I've, you know, I'm, I led small groups. I sang in the worship team. I did refreshments. Um, I was a cluster leader. I'm now a service pastor. So, I guess my journey has been sort of a journey of saying yes and growing into growing into leadership. Wonderful. Josh, what about you? So um, I hinted a little bit at um, the journey I've had and the opportunities I've had. Um, I've also had opportunities in sports. Um, so from a young age, was, I, don't know, I was fast. So they put me as a captain of the rugby team. Um, and they realized I wasn't that great a captain, so they made someone else. But, but I carried on being fast. Um, and, um, and then um, played um, here in Nottingham um, for the local rugby club. And um, yeah, so that was, that, I had a number of opportunities outside of the church context and um, yeah, they've just been amazing. However, inside of church, um, I had a real sense of, oh my goodness, I have not got the integrity to be a church leader. My parents, as I, you know, they were leaders within the church context, um, whereas for me, that was never something I would be up for doing. So, um, so I had these um, character issues. And I really resonated with um, Moses in the Bible, um, who had an amazing kind of, I was just talking with someone earlier about Moses, and they were just explaining to me about Moses and how he was saved from the river. Um, and for me, I was, I was adopted. Um, I could have been aborted. Um, but God saved me um, from that and placed me into a place of privilege. Moses was brought up by the Pharaoh. I then um, had a time in the wilderness where I was like, is this really what I'm going to live for? A time of disillusionment. And then a time where God called me back and said, no, I have given you a voice and I want you to 
be a leader in the areas that you want me to lead. And so it's been, it's been ironic in some ways because I, I thought I then said yes to God for that. And then um, there was a period of a, a long time where actually not much changed on the outside, but God was doing a lot of work on the inside in that time. Amazing. Thank you. Olu, Olu what about you? What's your journey towards leadership been like? Um, I guess it was similar to Alarine, um, kind of saying yes to opportunities. Um, I think originally in my worship team, I was just a musician and I found myself kind of imparting things to other people within the team. And then I was leading worship, I was kind of encouraging people, kind of bringing people along on the journey. And um, yeah, it's, it's been really good. Um, it's been challenging, obviously, and especially when you're a younger guy and there's quite a few older people in the team trying to bring people on side and do it in a tactful way. Yeah, but it's been really good and I think it's just been a, a road of just trying to steward as well as possible the opportunities that God keeps putting in my hands. So, yeah. And, and, and for each of you, as you look back, are there like a key moment or key moments that you thought that was quite catalytic in your journey? Are there things you can sort of put your finger on at all? Um, so a key moment for me, well, I, I was thinking of a couple. There was one where I'd visited a church um, and um, I hadn't really been going to church. It was the first time I turned up at this church. It was, um, I should say, it's Talbot Street, um, which is now Heart Church up the road. And there was a pastor there called Malcolm who sometimes gives prophetic words. And um, he said, I don't normally do this because he was giving all these encouraging prophetic words, which he does normally do. Um, but he then said, I don't normally do this. And he spot you, I don't know if you were here earlier, but um, there were some people picked out. It was that kind of moment for me. Um, so I was nervous but excited as to what he might say. But he said, you need to stand up and you need to, to take off your shackles, dust yourself off, get off the cobwebs and follow Jesus. Um, and it was a real rebuke, um, but it was, it was right. And I knew that it was right because I knew all about Jesus in my heart, but the way I was living and the way I was treating others, um, I played rugby, um, I'd got involved in drinking. Um, yeah, and when I, was, I drank too much, I did not treat women as I should have done. And um, I knew in my heart that was wrong and I would come to church just feeling rubbish. Um, but from that moment, that was a key moment where I was like, Lord, whatever it is, whatever the lifestyle costs or whatever, I am going to follow you. Um, so that was one moment. The other moment was um, I hinted at God doing this internal work. So in 2016, after a period of probably about seven or eight years where we, Katie and I, um, I'm married to Katie, we'd wondered, you know, is God going to take us on a joint thing together? Um, we'd been, uh, seen a number of friends um, plant churches in different areas um, from here, Trent Vineyard, where we'd been at, at church. And we'd served in this um, same area for a little while and um, was just wondering, you know, is there something that's, that's in the pipeline? Um, nothing seemed to happen. Doors kept on closing. It seemed to be like there was this, this, this opportunity. No, not that one. Um, and um, so we went, and that was the reason why I ended up going, looking at church planting, because otherwise I never would have done um, but we went to Oxford in 2016, and I looked out of a window asking God to speak, and there was a tree in blossom, and the tree in blossom reminded me of Isaiah chapter 43, verse 19, where it says, see, I'm doing a new thing. Do you not see it? Do you not perceive it? I'm making a way in the wasteland. And in essence, I realized that this was not 
about me. It was about God doing the new thing. It was about God inviting me into what he was doing, not what I was doing. I didn't have to be anything special. It was about saying yes to God. So I then maybe in a moment caught up with where Al and <laughs> Ollie were and actually said yes um, into, into following Jesus' voice into church planting. Wonderful. Ollie, Al, do you want to add anything onto that? Key moments for you? Um, I guess a key moment for me was uh, when I first joined uh, my church and um, I had gone through some church hurt and I can remember feeling very, very discouraged about worship, music in general and um, just I had a lot of rejection issues, like a lot of feeling not good enough, feeling unwelcome and I remember speaking to our assistant pastor at the time and uh, we just had a really frank conversation. And I kind of just poured out kind of what I was going through and just saying, oh, this is wrong and that is wrong. And I just grumbled a bit. And um, at the end of the conversation, he basically just said, why don't you just play keyboard next week? <laughs> and that, that was literally it. It was like, why don't you just why don't you just play keyboard next week? And it was such a strange thing to say, because it was like I'd literally just been ranting about Christian music and this is wrong and that is wrong. and this person, and no, he was just like, why don't you play keyboard for us next week? And that was it. That was, that was how I joined the worship team. <laughs> That's beautiful, isn't it? Big stuff found in the small. <laughs> just the next thing. Okay. It's beautiful. Harreen, what about you? I think there was just, when I realized people were listening to me and following me, that was like, oh, and quoting me back, you know, <laughs> quoting me back to them like, Oh, oh, <laughs> I mean, it still surprises me now, but it was like, oh, I'm doing something and I'm make, I seem to be making a difference in seeing what God is doing and, you know, speaking into their lives about what's, you know, what I see God calling to do and all those kind of things. So I was like, oh, <laughs> so that I think, you know, and it's still something I'm passionate about now, always. So... As a movement, it's really important that we continue a conversation around ethnic diversity and not just a conversation. We want to grow and to change and become more diverse as a family here. So we love seeing the leadership that you bring. It is such a blessing to us as a family. So this conversation around ethnic diversity you know, is, is obviously important to us as a family. It's an important kingdom story. It's important in that, like this historic moment we find ourselves in, right, over the last couple of years, George Floyd and, and others. So that, that it's important at a lot of levels. But why is it important to you? Josh, do you want to kick us off with your thoughts? So on a, a personal level, um, you mentioned the murder of George Floyd. That sparked for me a journey of discovery, um, a journey of connecting with my roots um, in a new way, um, I'd connected with my spiritual roots, um, and that's a whole other story. Um, but in terms of with my, in terms of my heritage, my roots of heritage, that was a journey that started then. Um, I had a chance to reflect on this, which was rather forced on me because um, churches started asking me to speak at their church on this, um, and um, and so yeah, so three other churches had asked to speak on this um, and, and so on. And in that process, as well as obviously a series at the church we lead at Hope Vineyard Oxford. Um, have had the process to see God's vision for diversity throughout Scripture. And um, more recently, I've been challenged by the sense of um, restoring justice. 
As I've seen the injustices of the past, I think we have an opportunity to restore justice. And it's not a revelation justice in the future. We talk of kingdom now. We talk of ushering in God's kingdom, which is what Jesus invited us to do. And um, so we can, we can bring that kingdom now. And I think I've been more comfortable with responding to opportunities like this in terms of what may be seen as positive discrimination by some, um, but actually that we are a people who want to restore justice. And it's with that mindset that we do these things. And secondly, I think there's a moment of opportunity because there's social conscience. There's an awareness that this is a significant issue. And um, in terms of that, we have an opportunity. Um, and we, we have opportunities to step into that and see, see what God will do as we submit to him. Alarine, for you. Clearly, the George Floyd death was um, a catalytic moment, as Josh has said. You know, watching a man die on video with, with the, you know, and saying, I can't breathe. And the, just the utter injustice. And you know, there are people who've gone before and have subsequently died at the hand you know, for being black. Um, and as my friend Katie would say, that's not okay. And it has been, I think, so people awakening to, you know, to have their eyes open, going, I had no idea that this was going on. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't touch you, you won't, you won't see it. And people are starting to ask questions. You know, um, Andy and Bethan did a session. We were able to share about our experiences of what it's like to be, you know, other in, uh, in this country. And, you know, it's, it's hard work, you know. People don't want to sit next to you on the train. People don't want to follow you out if you've come out of the loo and people don't want to go in after you. You know, you go into shops and your eyes are on you because you might steal something because you're a black person. Overlooked, you know, not being served. I mean, I, I'm going to give you a really... This happened this week. I was in the hotel, went down for breakfast and, uh, you know, very nice girl said to me, oh, hello, good morning. Have you been here before? Um, you'll find stuff over there, stuff over there, stuff over there. Perfectly, nothing wrong with that. I sit down, somebody comes up who's white. Good morning, welcome. Let me take you to your table. Let me show you where the breakfast is. So uh, it wasn't, that wasn't afforded to me. And that's just a tiny thing. And it happens all the time. And it's wearing. And I think an opportunity to share and to tell, tell your story um, is really, really important. So I think it's absolutely important. And, you know, while there's an open window, an open door to this, I'm going for it. <laughs> Olu, how about you? Okay. Um, so I'm going to start a little bit abstract and then I'll loop around to where we are. Um, I'm a Christian music nerd a little bit, um, as you probably expect, because I'm a worship leader. And um, in the 2000s, uh, there was one person, near enough, who was allowed to make music within the Christian contemporary landscape that appealed to both the white church and the black church. That guy's name was Israel Horton. So you'd probably be familiar with many of his songs. And he was seemingly the only person that was allowed to make music that almost straddled that line, who wrote songs with artists from the black gospel world and also the Chris Tomlins and the Matt Redmonds. 
and he was the only one. Um, I was chatting to Steve Nicholson earlier this week, and um, that archetype of being the only person that made that music, he wasn't the creator of it. Before him, there was another guy called Andre Crouch, and after that, there was a guy called Ron Canoli. Um, these were all basically the only person that was allowed, and apart from that, you had two very homogenous groups that were completely separate. So it was the white CCM music and the black contemporary gospel music. And they generally didn't interact at all. There wasn't, there wasn't tours, there wasn't artists writing together. They were separate. And then um, you fast forward a few years and you get Waymaker, which is a song that many of you have probably heard and, and sung a lot. And you may not know, but it was actually um, written by a Nigerian woman called Shanak. Um, and just for context, the song had been rattling around in Afro-Caribbean and African churches for years. And it was smashing people, like for years. And um, credit to the team at Integrity Music, who Vineyard Worship have a partnership with, who basically said, uh, we don't want our next single to be written by a bunch of white guys from Nashville, like most of them are. Like, they, they were very, very intentional about that. Um, and uh, long story short, Leland re-recorded the song, and now the song is everywhere. It's probably been translated into 50 languages, and it's blowing people's socks off in every single church because it's a great song. Um, I think sometimes we forget that there's great beauty and love and relationship and incredible amounts of God's calling that can be found outside of our traditions, outside of what's familiar. Like, traditions can be good. They are good because they allow us to pay heed to what's come before us, to the people who have laid the groundwork on whose shoulders we now stand. But if we hold them too tightly and we hold them too high, they become a straitjacket from which we can't escape, a prison from which we can't see the amazing things that God is doing outside of our comfort zone. And I feel like God is calling us to, to disruption. Thank you, Ollie. So, Ola, you shared with me a few days ago just some of the... Um, so what you'd found, like working with the guys of Vineyard Worship and how that had been, a, I think, a blessing to you. So do you, do you want to share that briefly? Yeah, I mean, um, <laughs> funny thing is, is that so my first connection with Vineyard Worship was for a few emails between me and Harmony. And then I met with Jimmy one day. Uh, we went to a pub just outside of uh, Victoria Station. And the conversation, we were just having a conversation and then... He started um, talking about um, the VNG from last year. So we have an idea and we're going to be pre-recording this thing. And I, knew, I had a feeling he was going to ask me to be involved. And it took him about 10 minutes to get to the point of actually asking me. But it seemed like a lifetime. It seemed like forever. And he was like, oh, and this detail and that detail. is like, Jimmy, just get to the point. And as soon as he said, I was like, yes, yes, I'm in. So, uh, but, um, but yeah, so that was, that was kind of how it all started to be honest and uh, me and Jimmy spoke and um, we I talked about my musical background and 
and we felt there could be an opportunity to kind of to shake things up a little bit, do something a bit different. And um, and I love the team. The team at Vineyard Worship have been fantastic. Like they've always encouraged me to basically bring myself, even though my sound isn't necessarily the traditional vineyard sound. Um, I, I listen to a lot, of, a lot of gospel music, a lot of R&B, um, but they've never policed me. In fact, they've always encouraged me to bring as much honesty to, to what I do. Um, so when we were tracking the vocals for um, Prayer of Consecration, a song written by Johnny Riggs and Rich Decas, um, I can remember when I came in to record the vocals for it, um, I had quite a few ideas of things that I wanted to do. And a lot of them went into the final song. In fact, a tagline that I created on the day that we recorded the song is part of the song now. So that's why when I sing it, a lot of people feel like I must have written it, even though I didn't, because I sing it as if it's my own, because I got to be part of that. I didn't get told, no, that's not how we do it these days. That's not how we do it around here. Like, there was a real desire for me to bring something different, something that was from me. And um, I, think, I think that translates to a lot of different areas within our churches. Ollie, thank you. So. Thinking about ethnic diversity and your own leadership journeys, what are some of the maybe barriers or challenges, both internal and external, that you've faced, that you've come across? So, Josh, do you want to kick us off? There are definitely internal barriers. Um, I'm just picking up a microphone. That is an internal barrier. Um, when you've got color in your skin, we've spoken about this before, um, people give you a microphone and they expect you to speak on behalf of black people. How can I do that? You know, what is my identity is a, is a question that we may have in the first place. When you go to your home, I was talking to a friend who um, visited the country of their birth and they were called the Englishman, yet they were black and had grown up in a society where he was definitely not an Englishman. So it's difficult internally to work out, well, what, what do I have to say? But I think there's just a sense of, well, if God gives you an opportunity, use it. And it's as simple as that. Um, externally, um, one of the things that I was made aware of um, recently is, is, is the external barriers of, of being in a culture where some of us think that we have it sorted. You know, I, I've got this diversity thing sorted. Maybe I lead a church in there. There are a number of different nations represented in that church. Um, but actually, I haven't gone on that journey. And the reason I can say that is because that was me two years ago. People would have looked on the outside and think, oh, you're very diverse in terms of your background and this and the other. But I hadn't gone on the journey internally. And so that has been my external but internal barrier that I've had to go on that journey in order to realize what it is the barriers actually are. Irene? Absolutely internal. You kind of never feel that you're quite good enough. Um, you know, my parents, and this is, this is what a lot of um, black parents say to their kids, is that, you know, you have to work twice as hard to do half as well. Imagine being told that at five. So there's a striving and there's a never quite making it. So that in internalizing that. Also, this face 
precedes me in a room. If I come into a room, this precedes me. So whatever people think about a black person, it's like I find I'm trying to almost undo what people think a black woman is. And again, that's, that's hard work. I'm black, I'm female, I'm older, and I'm single. So, you know, the, you know in terms of the hierarchy, I'm pretty, much, I'm pretty much down there. However, I have been given opportunities when people, haven't, people have seen me as me, and not for all those, you know, those lists of things. And under good leadership, secular as well as um, in the church, I have had opportunities. I've had terrible setbacks, but I've also had great opportunities where people I'm valued for me rather than the way I look and my gender, etc., etc., etc. Wonderful. Olu. Um, so in my current church, we're really, really mixed, and that's a blessing of being in East London, which is just if you've ever been to East London, like it's a very mixed area. Um, so in my current church, I haven't really had too many barriers based on my race, but um, in previous churches, I would say I would say there's times where you feel potentially you're being judged. You feel like you potentially you need to prove yourself. I think sometimes it cuts a few ways as well. Sometimes it may be it may be race, it may be class, it may also be you're just not that kind of person. Like sometimes just feeling like you're not part of the country club. Like everyone else knows a secret handshake that you don't know. Um, and yeah, it can, be, it can be hard. It can be hard. And um, I, I think in many ways, sometimes we tend towards picking people that sound like us, that look like us, that, that we'd like to go out golfing with. <laughs> like we pick, we pick them. Um, and is that what Christ is calling us to? Is he calling us to just pick people that are like us? Because if, if, if he is, then he probably picked the wrong disciples because, <laughs> you know what I mean, some of the disciples really didn't like each other. Um, but, um, but yeah, like, God is calling us to not just be vain and pick people that look and sound like us and not just go with the comfortable and not just go with our taste. Like, our taste is not God's call. Our taste is just our taste. So it doesn't have to be completely to your flavor. It can still bless people. People can still be moved and delivered and set free. In fact, I think that's God's kingdom. That is really it. It's a bunch of people that look different, sound different, from different places, would not get along in any other context, standing together, serving him, loving the world, building community. Yeah, yeah that's good. That's good. There's something about disruption in all of this, isn't there, which is a really powerful stream of this. So, you know, within this room here, there's going to be a diversity of churches represented. Uh, some will be in 99-plus percent white areas um, and serving communities that are reflective of that, 99-plus percent white, but most are not in those kind of areas. Most of us live and serve in diverse communities. So for example, for those of us from London churches, um, London is 57% white, but within that there will be a whole 
spectrum of ethnicities and racial backgrounds, and then beyond that, all sorts of colors and ethnicities from around the globe, which is wonderful, an incredible blessing. And actually, that's true for many places around the United Kingdom and Ireland. So, what would you say to us as leaders who wanted to grow in our leadership in this area of ethnic diversity? What, what would you share with us? Olu, do you want to kick off? Yeah, so like you said, embrace disruption. Like that, that's the word that we've kind of, we felt throughout a lot of this conversation, it's disruption. It's the unfamiliar, the, the, oh, I'm not sure about this. This doesn't feel like how it used to feel. Because um, in that, God can do amazing things. We can't just write it off because it doesn't look like how it always looked. Um, secondly, I would say um, stop picking people that are just like you. Or stop only picking people that are just like you. Because that, that's, not, that's not what we're called to. That's not, that's not it. And then other than that, your taste is not God's call. Like it's not. God will call people that you wouldn't pick. So be ready for that. Be open to that. Olu, thank you. Josh? I hinted at this um, a moment ago, I realized, but that journey of self-awareness is so important. Um, after doing this interview on Monday, someone came up to me and said, oh, I'd love you to speak at our church. Um, and um, in my spirit, there was something that wasn't quite right. And um, so I had that tactic, which is always good, pray and delay. I said, I'll speak to you on Wednesday. Let's pray together. Um, and I was just like, I just want to find out a little bit more as to where this has come from. So in the conversation on Wednesday, it was, it was, it was clear that actually they had such an amazing heart. But they hadn't gone on a journey themselves with the people that they lead. That they hadn't had dialogue to find out what are the barriers to people stepping into leadership from different communities. And so I said, I'd love to speak when I've heard that conversation has happened. And I think this isn't something that you can delegate to someone else. It's not something you can say to someone else, can you come and fix this problem for me? You can't look at the individuals um, from, who are different from you and say, actually, it's their fault. They need to step into something when actually the problem is around us within the church that we might be in. And so this is something you have to do yourself. You can't delegate it. You need to. There's no shortcut. You, you have to go there yourself. So my advice is if you want to see this, go on that journey. Alarine? What he said. <laughs> <laughs> Can I just say that this came from Alarine's context in the Zoom conversations where you have to go to places you are uncomfortable. I loved what you said. Can you share a little of that? Yeah. No. yeah. Self-awareness, educate, read, squirm, engage with those um, television programs. Go, That's not for me. We'll, we'll learn. We're all, on, we're all, on, we're all on, this, on this journey. So I'd say you need to be uncomfortable but be comfortable with that. This is not easy. This is 300 years, 400, 500 years of 
people just, you know, if you're one color, you're great. If you're another color, you're not. So this, this takes some unpicking. It, it's, it's systemic. The other thing I would say is, when you're look open, use the eyes of the spirit when you're looking at people. You're looking at your, your leaders, who you want to have on your teams. What, don't go through your own prism, it won't work. It has to be through the eyes of the spirit. And I, I, you know, I did a reference, I said, you know, there are other stereotypes available. So let's, <laughs> you know, when you're looking at diverse people, people, you know, black, it's like, we don't all sing, we don't all run fast, although I did both of those things. We're not just there for the grunt work. You know, black people have not been put on this earth to entertain white people and to do the hard work. There are more things. There are more things that all people can do. You know, people who look like us, we're the global majority. I mean, just popping it out there. <laughs> so, please, Eyes of the Spirit, it's the only way we're going to do this is with the help of the Holy Spirit, his guidance. This is the, it's, it's the only thing, we know that. We are people of the Spirit, aren't we? And this is, the, this is the same thing. We need the eyes of the Holy Spirit to go, who? Who should be doing that? Who should be leaving that? I think it's, I think it's this person, Lord, but who should be leading this ministry? Please engage with the Holy Spirit. Wonderful. So we're coming towards a landing. Are there other things, just like one thing, that you want to just throw into this moment? Josh, I know we, we chatted earlier, so I know there was something the Lord has placed on your heart. Otto Allery, there might be things as you want to share as well, but Josh, do you want to? Um, on Monday, I shared something different. Um, but... As I was um, praying, I just felt God just prompting me to, to highlight one thing that seems to have been a theme um, in the last few days. On Tuesday morning, as I, I was at a Zoom prayer meeting. I don't know if you're familiar with those. Um, but I was the only person there. And um, it's not the first time that's happened this, this month in a church context. And um, I just, I was sad. I was really sad, and I spent time worshipping and praying, and I just felt a heaviness and a sadness in my soul. And I think, in terms of that time, I was just wondering, you know, what is it? What is it that calls us not to fall on our knees and pray? And I was just reflecting on the culture that we live in. You know, some of us aren't that desperate. I um, had a Swahili teacher growing up in Kenya. He was called Kelakela Mushigiro. Great name. He would say, Master Joshua, come here. Kuja hapa. It's a pole 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 pole, which means slowly by slowly. And then he would say, be aware there are snakes in the glass. Snakes in the grass. We've... Um, you know, I play sport, I love going out on the pitch. Um, but if you're on the pitch and you have snakes in the grass that, that, that bite at your heels, that take you down, you'd be wondering what's going on. And um, with the lead senior pastors, um, Steve did an incredible session on spiritual warfare and it just seemed to be so needed 
in that sometimes we don't realize that there's an enemy who is trying to take us down. And maybe if you're in a context where you've not been oppressed, you wouldn't know what it means to be taken down. Whereas when you've grown up and you've been abused, you've been oppressed, you've been enslaved, you don't need anyone to tell you what it looks like to be taken down. But you know that you have weapons. And there were two things to say. Is we have a choice in that moment. We have a choice to become bitter. And that is something I've wrestled with. Is it because I'm black? And um, there were two verses, brilliant verses. I need my notes for this. But Hebrews and in James. And these are what those verses say. Hebrews 12, 15. See to it that no bitter root grows up in you that grows to trouble many. James 3, 14 to 16. Bitter envy and selfish ambition. And Steve was saying it's demonic. It leads to evil practice. And so we need to realize, yes, there may be oppression, but let it not lead to bitterness. The second thing to say is that when we have oppression, we've also been given the armor of God and we've got prayer. And so when I was just in that moment, I was like, maybe that's it. Maybe we don't realize we're in a battle. And I think some of us are in that place. We're not alert. We're not aware there are snakes in the grass. And the only way we can attack that, the weapon we've been given is prayer. And we were talking about the Nigerians in the church who pray. I used to grow up to the sound of all-night prayer meetings that were the loudest meetings you could have because everyone prays at once. It's not none of this, your turn, my turn. You shout at the wall and you're praying. It's just an amazing place to, and you see what's happening there, you know. So I think prayer and also don't let bitterness come into your heart. I've been knocking around this movement for, for many years, but I remember John Wimber saying, you know, Jesus wants a big, fat bride. He wants a bit, so we want a big, fat, diverse bride. All colors, all nations, all people. But it will be contested for, so we have to work at this. It's not going to happen just by going, oh, it's not a great idea, let's do a program. It is the work of the Spirit, and we have to. Con- sorry, that was a bit, sorry, I didn't mean, I didn't mean to. I wasn't. <laughs> I didn't, I didn't mean to hector, that was not, what, that was not what, I, what I meant. But we have, to, we have to contend for this, to get that big, fat, beautiful bride that Jesus wants. You're good. Wonderful. So, my friends here have been very vulnerable with us today. And that I think they have shared with incredible grace and kindness and wisdom and compassion. And they have been vulnerable because this, you know, this is very deep for them. And they have very graciously shared with us. So I would like to ask all of us to say a massive thank you to them. (laughs) 